Hey everybody, welcome to On My Last Neuron with Dr. Karis Dillon. My name is Mike Dillon and I'm the host of this podcast. And not only am I the host, but I'm also lucky enough to be Karis' husband. And she threatened me that if I wasn't the host, she'd probably bitch slap me. So, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I was just about to tell you, I think I heard a little bit of a Minnesota accent in the word host. Host. No, that's just you. You've been living with me for 20, no. what, three years now? Yes, it has been. 23 fun years. It's felt like about two. Yeah, I'd that say maybe more like thing. 15, 20, but all right. <laughs> all right. So in this episode, we are, for the last time, visiting the uh, book, What Happened to You, by Dr. Bruce Perry and by Oprah Winfrey. Because did you know, Mike, that we have lots of listeners that don't like to read physical books? I would be one of them. <laughs> I Am I a listener? Or a, I don't know. Yes, yes, I I totally understand. So um, we've been getting those requests. Please finish the book. <laughs> and they're not rude about it, but it's just kind of hilarious. Definitely. So we're coming through for you here. Definitely. So uh, we're wrapping up the book. Um, and obviously, like I just admitted to, I have not read the book. Karis <laughs> is, the, is the expert. She's the one that's been doing all the reading. Uh, but um, basically, it sounds like the end of the book is kind of taking the things we've learned in the first uh, several chapters and kind of telling us what to do next. Absolutely. And they did such a great job of chronologically walking through this, these signs and symptoms that we, almost all of us, have suffered some sort of trauma. And I'm going to argue that since this pandemic, probably 95 plus percent of us have had some sort of trauma now, even since this pandemic. And these last couple of chapters really look at, okay, how do we deal with this now that we know? And remember, the, the younger you are when you've had this trauma, the worst impact that we see in the human brain. And so what the heck do we do with this knowing that? And this is where Dr. Perry and Oprah talk about the importance of different types of relationship building, not only with the community, but with other individuals. What was strange about this conclusion that they came to is people are often the reason why we have trauma, but they're also the reason but they're also the manner in which we get better again. That relationships are the key to helping us to heal. It's definitely an interesting paradox, you know, that that that, that would be the case. But I mean, I, I suppose if you really think about it, it makes sense. You know, they talk about, you know, anytime you go through something, you know, like if you are trying to lose weight, for example, you know, they say, okay, if it took you so many years to, to gain the weight, you know, you kind of have to walk it backwards and that, you know, that it, kind of that same sort of theme that if, uh, if people caused trauma getting you to where you're at, then, you know, you need help from people to get you back. And to let me clarify, healthy. it's not the same person. <laughs> That's, that <you> true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I sense. don't want people to think like they need to go back to the individual that created the trauma or, the interaction with the person that created the trauma, because that's not the case. 
um, usually that person is not going to help in the healing process. <laughs> One of the things that they talked about, though, is how relationally impoverished we are. And because of social media, because of the isolation that we see, people aren't getting involved in church communities anymore. One of the things I think we can learn from the baby boom generation is the concept of community and why they had church organizations and getting together and doing things just getting together in a nurturing and loving and supportive environment can actually heal our brain that's what blew me away reading this it's really powerful you know you know like like you said and you know uh it made you know and i would say too i mean like the church community is an example of that, but it doesn't you necessarily bet. have to be, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have well, to be we a religious gonna... or a spiritual, you know, I mean, kind of community. It could be like, like you said, like any sort of loving community that's supportive. and Absolutely. And some examples that they gave, they want, they talked quite a bit about rhythm how rhythm is a very healing thing. We um, individuals may have their own self-soothing techniques, um, but we also have, have rhythmic exercise or rhythmic dancing. Massage is rhythmic. There's so many things that are created from rhythm that we have found that actually help to heal our brain from trauma. Hmm, that's really interesting. So if rhythm is healing, is music healing too? Because, you know, if I've got rhythm and music, really, I mean, <laughs> who could ask for anything more? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it, it's all, again, it's all up to that individual as far as what helps to heal them, just like it was with how we deal with stress. What we feel secures and comforts and helps to heal us is very individual as it is with how we deal with stress and trauma. So what is it about, like, going back to the idea of, like, the, the rhythmic kind of, what is it about that that... So it goes back to when we were in the womb, and it goes back to that heartbeat that the baby hears, and the kind of rhythmic walking of the mother, they might hear sounds, they might hear the stomach kind of gurgle, but we, babies, when they're first born, um we'll start with rocking them in a way that that moves with us but you'll find very quickly that the caregiver will find eventually that rhythmic back and forth that the child needs in order to soothe them and so whether it's the rocking whether it's the you know a person learning like maybe they're soothing their own arm or they enjoy massage maybe their parent you know rub their back that was a very soothing thing for them and it helped to calm them um, and we found that those types of things um, eventually help to heal the brain from trauma and from stress so does it kind of depend on like you as an individual like what um, like what kind of through what senses or what, you know what I mean? Like if you're a person that likes touch, I mean, you know, or if you're a person who's more auditory or more visual or whatever, you know, it's absolutely. Kind of... Some of us really love water and we can, 
um, swim and that rhythmic movement really helps to the biggest thing is that you're lowering your blood pressure you're lowering your heart rate I know I understand that during exercise it will increase it but afterward is when the effect takes place we know that after you know exercise to a certain point about 30 40 minutes afterward we get a boost of endorphins into our body and so that boost of endorphins helps to relieve stress within the physical body so it brings us more back into that parasympathetic mode where our heart rate goes back to a relaxed state our blood pressure goes back to a relaxed state that relaxed state is what is imperative for healing the body so when you say healing the body too i mean are you talking you know a lot a lot of what we've been talking about with this is you know talking about the effect of trauma on the brain so when you say like healing the body is that does that imply like the brain or is it the body or is it both or they're they're all connected Um, Our nervous system is so unwrapped, you know, our sensory and our motor nerves and all these nerves that run throughout our whole peripheral nervous system all the way into our brain and spinal cord. And that's what sends the messages back to the rest of our body. I mean, we are essentially our brain and we know that trauma can cause motor issues Um, changes in the neurons, anxiety, depression, those neurotransmitters are not being refilled. Sleep is not appropriate. It changes REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, and it puts us at risk for diabetes, heart disease, all those things that we tend to see, even with metabolic syndrome, we tend to see kind of that ramped up sympathetic nervous system ramped up sympathetic nervous system and so the opposite of that the biggest thing that i want people to really pick up from what dr perry and oprah were talking about was this isn't a one-time shot you can't oh i took a walk today so i'm feeling better this has to become part of our routine and so really when you self-care when you bring yourself into a state of rhythmic um, coping or rhythmic healing essentially you are allowing your body to heal from past issues that have come up so how much you know when we talk about trauma you know and talk about like these techniques for trying to heal from that trauma you know how much is how much is physical healing how much is like mental you, you know what i mean like if you have a memory or something of something that was traumatic to you or you know how, how do you did they give any ideas for how to handle like the the, the mental side of it you know Absolutely. and the healing process so what we're doing is we're replacing the memories are there but we can replace them with something that's pleasant that's healing and so let's say you know you're really struggling with something that went down in the past or you just had a conversation you know with your mom or your dad and you're stressed out about it taking part in that rhythmic activity right after or you know keeping to go back to that daily routine of that is going to help deal with that stress in the future so it's it's one of those things that has to be embedded into the routine every single day if you're going to stay physically healthy. I mean, what I understood from this book is that 
if you don't remain psychologically healthy, you have a worse chance of having physical health issues, even if you do exercise every day. And um, if, if you're not using those rhythmic healing techniques that bring you and your heart rate down and your um, respiration down, um, you won't reach that true health without that psychological adjustment. Playing the piano is a good example of that. Your blood pressure, your heart rate, you're moving into a different um, state. Your body is moving into more of a... I've noticed when you play the piano, Mike, that you your whole body changes and you kind of lose yourself in the keys and in the music. And it's neat to kind of be able to see the body kind of relax. One of the things I want to bring up too is they talked about the importance of therapy and just talking. And they said that can be a repetitive rhythmic coping mechanism because a therapist is offering you that same kind of opening, opening the door to you talking about things. And we're finding that talk therapy um, also will take the body into a state of relaxed, um, being able to get things out. One idea that they really pushed in this book was that people need to be able to talk about what's happened to them in their trauma in a time and a space that works right for them. And as an example, Dr. Perry actually worked with the kids from the Waco incident many, many years ago. I'm sure you and I both watched that on TV. And when they took all of these kids from their parents, these kids had just seen people being shot and they had lived in this community where they were very loved um, by many different people. And so to be kind of ripped away from the parents and put into a situation where the media had access to him, one of the things Dr. Perry did was he shut that down right away. He didn't allow anybody access to these children except him and his staff. He said one of the first things we did was to put them into a routine. Again, repetition and rhythm. And he noticed that the kids, depending upon how he brought in play and he brought in academic work and he put you know, good amounts of this kind of into their routine, but he allowed them to work at a pace that they wanted to and play at a pace that they wanted to. And as he watched these children who had just gone through this very traumatic experience, he noticed that the children, depending upon their mood or how they would were feeling, would gravitate toward certain staff members that one was particularly compassionate, another was funny, and full of laughter and he took a stopwatch and clocked this and he said by the end of the day a majority of the children had had therapy or play therapy for about two hours out of the day and he said within a couple of weeks these children were doing so much better than when he had first gotten them and he said it's amazing when you allow a person or a body to express themselves when they're put into a community where they have all the supports that they need and these are all different supports how well they can manage and thrive in a community like that yeah it's really interesting it makes me as you're talking about it it makes me kind of frustrated when we think about how our 
hell system works right now in the sense that, you know, there's physical health and there's mental health and they're kind of kept separate, you know, and it's like the, the reality is, is they are one and the same, you know, and it's frustrating when insurance companies, you know, won't pay for talk therapy, you know, because it's not a, or, you know, because it's not a health issue according to their definition of that, you know, and it just seems like, you know, those would be the kinds of things, you know, that would heal, you know, beyond medication, beyond, you know, surgery or, you know, I mean, you know, whatever those kinds of more medical types of procedures and those kinds of things are. Now, Dr. Perry went to an indigenous tribe known as the Mari people, and he wanted to see how the healers or the elders who were healers dealt with things that came up, dealt with anxiety and depression and those things within the community. And what he noticed and what these elders communicated with him was that they thought the Western world was very strange and that the doctors were specialized and that they separated everything out. He, One of the things these elders said to him was that the whole person had to be treated and that they had to be treated within a community because the community had places to dance, had places to share, had places um, to laugh, to cry. And there were always people within that community that those people could go to. And because of this, their rates of anxiety and depression are so much lower than ours are. A lot of the times in our society, people can't find proper support for when they're having anxiety and depression. And it's just sad. I think not only is it important to treat children, but I think it's important to treat adults in that manner too, and to have a community present that can really, you know, embrace and support those individuals as much as possible. I mean, I understand that a child is very fragile, and yes, it absolutely takes community to support that, but the way that we've set up society does not seem to match too well with what's going to be to the best interest of the child. No, you're exactly right. We tend to be more of a reactive rather than proactive in our approach to helping people feel good and be healthy and things like that. Um, That kind of makes me think you were mentioning before we got started on the podcast about um, with children in particular, um, I guess maybe what I might refer to as a myth. This is Mike talking, I guess, but you know, you were talking about um, resiliency of children, you know, and the idea that a lot of times, you know, people will say things like, Oh, you know, they're a kid, they can, they'll get through it, they're resilient, all that kind of stuff. And you said, kind of based on what you were reading, that that may not be the case. No, Dr. Perry has looked at the neuroscience for the last, I mean, he's been doing this work for decades. And these, um, and these children who have gone through the Columbine shootings, we're seeing tremendous issues with anxiety and depression with these children that have now become adults. And they have carried that, and they have carried this trauma with them for years and are suffering greatly from anxiety and depression still to this day. And remember, you know, that's the life expectancy of someone, you know, who hasn't had that proper support, community support, therapy, all those things 
it's putting them at a greater risk for health problems. It's, it's definitely time for us to really look inward and as a nation and really look at our mental health and the things that are truly making us happy in life and things that, you know, as a society maybe aren't helping us to become ultimately what we as a nation could become. So let me ask you this question, Mike. Um, what are the things that you do in a normal day that are rhythmic, that are repetitious, that help fill you up? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I would say one is probably just the routine of a day, you know, like having the routine of, okay, I get up, you know, get ready to go to work, go to work, you know, have the work that, you know what I mean? I think maybe just yeah. that broad routine of just, you know, cause it, you like a routine. I like a routine, you know, um, I found like during the pandemic working from home, although I was able to get my work done, I don't know if I was as productive as I could be because there wasn't quite that same routine because it was easy to get out of a routine, you know, like, you know, you get up and like, rather than getting in the shower, you know, and get ready to go to work, you know, just sit down at the computer, you know, and start working or whatever, you know, but then it was easy to want to get up and, you know, go to the fridge or, you know, go sit on the, sit on the couch for a little, you know, you know what I mean? And like, when you have that routine of, you know, getting up, okay, take a shower, get in the car, go to work and you're in the office, you know, so I'd say Absolutely. that's probably one thing that is a routine for me. Um, I would say as far as like other kinds of things, you know, like I like to play when I'm on my phone, I tend to play games that are more pattern oriented, you know, that rather than some other types of games, I guess, you know, so I mean, I think that's probably a, a routine kind of thing that helps me soothe myself i guess if you um, could build in more things into your week or your day what do you think you'd build in um i know one area where i would need to improve more is like exercise you know and opportunities just to do that on a more regular basis um i would say probably you know this probably goes back to uh, like something that I do do that I could probably integrate in other parts of my life is like is mu like listening to music and that kind of stuff like mm -hmm. when I'm at work and I'm in my office by myself you know I'll tend to turn on music and I tend you know what I mean whereas you get home and there's all sorts of other things going on the TV's on the kids are playing you know it's hard to like you know turn on music and just have it you know so I think that might be an area of you know, where you could add more of that type of absolutely rhythm, I guess, in the background, at least, you know, and that kind of stuff. So how about you? Oh, haha, <laughs> turn the tables. Didn't <laughs> I? That's what the host does. Honestly, I think you building this shed for me has been a huge lift because it's given me a space to go to, um, especially when I need to get out and it's not that I don't enjoy being home, but sometimes I need a space to be able to kind of connect with people, to be able to make phone calls with silence without dogs barking. Um, if is it, would, there, would you say that there's rhythm and just having a space that's your own, that's like set up the way that, that you like it? Absolutely. 
Absolutely, because I yearn to go out to the shed. <laughs> and it's always the same way. I mean, it's even the way I get out of the house to move in here. I sit in the same place. You know, I I don't have the TV on, which is weird. You know, in the home, I have the TV going. It's like there's always some constant noise, and I don't need that in this space, which has been wonderful for me. I feel... Um, the silence again and I feel like I can think through things so. by the way this episode has been sponsored by the shed <laughs> no, just kidding the shed I really should take a video of it and put it on my <laughs> YouTube channel <laughs> I, I would say you know just being able to create podcasts in some ways is a repetition um, for some people I'm sure it feels like work but for me it's, it's therapy in a lot of ways, just to hear somebody else and what they've gone through and kind of learn from those lessons and shift and move forward. But I, I definitely do think we need more community support groups out there. We need more book clubs. We need more, you know, swimming, going out and swimming and exercising and canoeing and finding all those things that we don't necessarily find time for right now. I would love to someday have a floating tank. That would be amazing. I love, you know, I love water. Um, it would be amazing to go to, you know, just some hiking places or national parks um, would be wonderful. I think one of our challenges as a price of culture is make, you know, finding ways to get access to those kinds of things. Cause sometimes there are barriers for people that, you know, yeah. can't afford to do something or it costs too much or something's not close by or you, you know what I mean well, and I really get access is probably key feel like like having a son with a major illness um has been a trauma for us because I mean it really has changed our financial means but also you know we I think we hyper focus on it all the time and there's really no letdown from it it's hard not to hyper-focus yeah. on it when it runs your routine. <laughs> I tell you, that's one of the things that I hope down the road with this podcast and with my YouTube channel is to be able to provide every kid in Iowa with, um, with a pump and with the supplies that they need and so that the parents don't have to have those charges. I want parents to not go through what we went through. I saw this woman on TikTok the other day and her child had just been diagnosed with type one diabetes and she was just bawling. She's like, how am I gonna afford this insulin? And I just wanted to go into the screen and hug her and be like, you're gonna have to take on jobs and you're gonna have to not sleep ever again. And being four years in, I wanted to tell her, it sucks and it's super hard, but you're going to make it. And it was weird because I couldn't, I couldn't connect it with her. And I really wanted to, I wanted to tell her it was going to be okay. And that's where I think, you know, the organizations or the non-for-profits that can help with these types of things would be amazing to help parents out. Did you know that juvenile diabetes is the highest cost disease out there for parents well now you tell me four <laughs> years later <laughs> I, just, I can believe it though i mean I the cost of supplies the cost yeah. of medication cost of 
equipment. Yep, I could totally believe that. Well, and it's something that never goes away. And my fear, my fear is our child, when he someday is away from us, that he will skip out on insulin in order to cut costs. And I know I'm probably going to be a hypersensitive parent in that realm too, making sure he's not doing that. It's very, very scary. So um, as we kind of wrap up, maybe talking about the book, you know, if you kind of, can you kind of bring the whole book together for, you know oh what my. I mean? I mean, not, <laughs> not, not, not a, like a quick, you know, but just, I mean, if you just kind of, re, you know, it started off talking about, you know, the trauma we experienced. That, that all of us all have of us experience. trauma to some yeah. extent. And the extent, the earlier that that trauma comes on, the more significant the risk that that has done damage to the neurons in the brain. And remember, the neurons are what hold all of our neurotransmitters, which are involved in our mood, our fine motor, our large motor, um, our relationships with each other. I mean, there's just everything that's in our neurotransmitters. And the younger that we see this trauma, the more difficult it is um, for that person to try to heal and not have the anxiety and the depression um, and the physical health problems that come with it. But it sounds like if we can create more community supports out there, more therapy that's available for people without a cost to it, um, open up church groups, make them more known for people that are seeking spiritual communities, as well as helping families to find more supports. It sounds like every time a child goes through a situation where they're given those multiple supports, they do so much better and they begin to heal. It is through those small periods of having comfort and safety. Abraham Maslow talked tremendously about that. Safety was number two on his uh, pyramid of needs for the human beings. And I would even argue that it's maybe down on the base too, along with water and food and air and shelter. Um, we definitely have to feel safe for our brain to be able to grow and to do what it needs to do to feel comfortable. Um, Dr. Perry talked a lot about how babies, when they begin to explore will oftentimes use their parents as kind of that safety zone and they'll go out and they'll explore something and it'll challenge them and they'll come back to the parent for safety. What happens when that child um, doesn't want to leave the parent to begin with, even if they're unhealthy, they don't feel safe exploring their world. And that's where these problems begin to stack on top of one another. I think, you know, for you and I, Yes, we have a lot of, on our plate, but I think we can even reach out even more, you know, within our own community and try to create, you know, some of those places where we can send love and compassion to others like we even do in our own home. So, you know, just in kind of thinking back on the book, you know, it sounds like, you know, there's kind of the initial kind of gloom and doom sort of like you know we all experience trauma you know and everyone has that you know those things that have affected their brain their body you know who they are and all that kind of stuff but it feels like 
as as you went through the book and through the examples and all the different things that there's kind of a positive message in terms of that there are ways for us to to heal from that is the trick just seems in figuring out how to make sure people have access to those tools and to those things that you know so they have the opportunity to heal from that that trauma that they have experienced at absolutely and to make those available for very little cost as well yeah so cool well um I know that I have appreciated getting to talk to you about this, having not read the book. Uh, again, I'll admit I did not read the book, so I'm relying on on Karis and her expert interpretation of what's going on. But I think other people that have listened have really appreciated the insights that uh, that you, you've been able to share. Um, well, about... it's definitely because of Dr. Perry and Oprah's work in that book that mm-hmm. really opened my eyes to so much of this and, and recognizing this help this book has helped me to advocate for myself more and has helped me to put boundaries up knowing that if I'm around somebody who's super negative and puts me down that is going to have an effect on my health and who I am and they have proof of it right there in that book so if you are a person that that needs to define those boundaries better this is a great book for you because it gives you a reason a scientific reason why it's important to love yourself and to give yourself care and to be able to put those boundaries up around the negative people definitely definitely well i think on that note i think that's a good spot to maybe end this podcast um Thank you again uh, for all of your wisdom and you know sharing what you what you've learned and your and like I said I think it's a great mix of what Dr. Perry and Oprah were able to pull together but also just you know well thank said, you for your time in doing this and well thank you for thanking me <laughs> no, I'm just kidding I think with that we'll close out this episode of On My Last Neuron thank you everyone for listening um, we look forward to upcoming podcasts with more exciting talk about the world of psychology and all the things that we're encountering and experiencing in our life. So thank you, Karis. Uh, We really appreciate it. And to everyone that's listening, thanks for listening. Have Have a great rest of your day and we will see you in the next podcast.